0: Welcome everyone to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the spirits. And so I begin with our ancestors, yours and mine. All of those people who lived well and died well, those people who met the challenges of their time in a good way, those people who learned, those people who were able to draw greater wisdom from the ins and outs and ups and downs of their day, we call out to these people. We call out to these ancestors who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our lineages to us. We call out to them to be with us here today, to gather round and to help us, to help the living at this time of change, ...between the worlds to do what we've truly been called into this time to do. We ask these ancestors to gather round us to help us, help us to be wise, help us to bring beauty in the world... ...and help us to know what is true and to let all else fall away. And we give thanks to these ancestors for gathering round us here today. And with the ancestors gathered round, let us focus within and drop our energy from our mind to our heart... ...and our heart to our belly... And from our belly down our grounding cord into the earth and let us take a moment and give thanks for this day. Thanks for all this day holds. Thanks for the beauty. Thanks for the wonder. Thanks for the great mystery. And thanks for the awe-inspiring miracle of your life. So we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience it in all of its diversity to the face of this planet. We give such gratitude to her today and reach our energy down and our humble thanks to draw the earth's energy up into ourselves, into our day, into these proceedings. We draw this energy up and call into ourselves the energy of grounding, place and home. The energy of the hearth that we carry with us, each within our own bodies, because we are at home here on the earth. We give thanks to the earth for connection, for interconnection, and ultimately the interconnectedness of all things. And may we feel that oneness in this day in some way. And from that oneness, come into right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, right relationship with our environment, ...and right relationship with the spirit world. We give thanks to the earth for all of this. And as we draw the energy of the earth up into our bellies and from our bellies to our hearts... ...and our hearts to our minds, let us reach up through the sky, out through the atmosphere... ...and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you name this power in whatever vision you visualize this power, in whatever way you know or understand this power, reach up to it and draw this energy down, down through all the layers of the sky, all the layers of the realms above. We draw this energy in to call into ourselves, into our day, into these proceedings, the sweet energy of blessing. We call in the strength of protection. We call in the inspiration of generosity. And we call in the knowing of the benevolence of our universe. We call in all the wisdom of the cosmos. And ask for these energies to come into ourselves that we might trust. Trust what lies before us. Trust what we find in our heart. Trust that which is wanting to be sung. And so we call the energies of the sky down, down into our mind, down into our heart and down into our belly, and take a moment to enjoy that great ah of earth and sky dancing within us in the great love of the Tao, the big love of which all life as we experience it in form is born. We give thanks to these energies, and in that space of that love, we ask the energy of our heart to open. And we ask that crucible of change to be that fiery, unique, amazing place that it is that can hold the deep passions of the belly in relationship with the cool clarity of the mind and bring these energies together in such a way that they conspire each other to give forth to you in your heart the knowing of why you are here, the knowing of your soul's true purpose. And may you find in that very same heart the courage to live that purpose in some way in this day, large or small, may you bring your gifts to the world. So we give thanks for the spirits for gathering around us here today and helping us. When, may what needs to be said be said. May what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I'd like to give thanks to Christy and Patricia and her daughter Gracie for their amazing donation. And the joy that it brought to me to discover it to astra deb Deborah, sarah and all the listeners uh who have donated to the show if this show has been meaningful to you in any way know that you are able to donate to express that exchange of energy at the essence of shamanism is an understanding that true power moves through the heart and if we are going to move powerfully in the world we must allow ourselves to be motivated in our hearts and to let the motivation in our heart be the thing that moves us into action so in whatever way you can if you are moved in the heart uh please allow yourself to be moved to do something to help the show to grow in your emails in your questions in your ideas for shows and in your donations for all of this keeps the show alive um useful to you and available to you and to those who cannot donate so as you all know the archives are available at why for the last four years of this show and um, you can also click the support button there donate any amount large or small and if you are uncomfortable with that you may email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and i'm happy to give you a regular old address for a regular old check and um, thank you all for all of it. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. So today's show is um asking the question, what was what must we change in ourselves uh to birth the new world? And our guest today is um Daniel Ford. Daniel, welcome. Thank you. So for those of you that don't know, um, Daniel leads trainings, rituals, and community circles focusing on honoring ancestors, tending our relations with the natural world, and remembering our unique destiny and calling. He also offers individual healing and mentorship sessions and ministerial services, which would be those of you who are looking for weddings, funerals, birth rituals, and home blessings sorts of things. Um... Daniel is also the founder of the Earth Medicine Alliance, an interfaith earth honoring nonprofit, which you can find at earthmedicine.org. And he is the co founder of a ritual circle working with mountains around the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, how do people reach you about that, Daniel?
1: The website for my personal practice is ancestralmedicine.org, and people can just reach out directly in touch with email or phone
0: great and you can also email daniel at ancestralmedicine at gmail.com um, so for those those of you who are located um, have located these things in cyberspace um, i also want to thank the society of shamanic practitioners for their support of this show today in this um, guest series um, and they can be found at shamansociety.org um, we are live this week. If you have any questions um, about today's topic, not any questions in general, um, you are invited to call us at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the Code Creator site or email us at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So, Daniel, thanks again for joining us here today. I like to begin the shows with guests, um, talking for just a moment about how they got to this place in their life. In part, because I think for many of us, as just garden variety, mixed ancestral Americans, um, it can be confusing to figure out what's going on, (laughs) especially when we're being, well, period, but especially when we're being called into um, shamanic work or ceremonial work. So if you look back over your life, what are the one or two truly pivotal moments that you can see now were absolutely necessary to get you where you are today, which at the time you might not have even realized were pivotal? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But what were the things that really moved you to the man that you are today in your practice, in your work?
1: Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in northeastern Ohio to a loving but not unusually spiritually turned-on family. And as a teenager, I started reading about shamanism and the way of the shaman and listening to the doors and eating drugs. And I through that, bumped in directly to the reality that there are other energies or beings that don't always have physical bodies or forms, but are quite real. And so that set me on a path of study and research. I did my undergraduate work in religious studies and my formal professional training in counseling psychology and psychology and have been a student of religion and spiritual practice really since my late teens, I guess, and my first teachers in shamanism, Becky and Crow with the Church of Earth Healing in Ohio, helped me to learn journeying practice when I was 17, 18, and so I was blessed to connect early with a framework for direct engagement. And so I didn't I didn't have any profound near-death experience or any one moment that really defines things, but it's been a steady process of following my calling to spirituality and to earth, earth-honoring tradition, the service to the earth, so I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity and the sanity and health and resources to have connected with teachers along the way. Most of the last 20 years, I've been working with a teacher of some sort, so for me, learning through tradition, through established rituals and practices has been a really important part of my path. Been more of a steady, low build over the years.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, when how did you first begin to notice the need for ancestral healing as it presents itself in our contemporary lives?
1: Yeah, and in the late 90s, my, my first teachers encouraged me to work, connect with my ancestors of blood, and I, it had never occurred to me before that. I think that's true for a lot of people. And at that, it was a profound day, and I ended up doing soul guidance or psychopomp work with my maternal grandfather who had taken his own life and, and felt on a, on a deep soul, heart level the impact of that. And it set me on a course of uh, research of my family history, and I wrote a book about my family history and shared that with my family. And since 2005, I've been leading weekend trainings to help others make repairs, lineage repairs with their recent and more distant blood ancestors. Over the years, my work with uh, more recently indigenous cultures uh, has only confirmed the importance of the ancestral healing, and then working as a therapist uh, has also confirmed that, and I've come to see a lot of the suffering that people present with in mental health kinds of spaces as a continuation of intergenerational pain or occasionally a direct manifestation of ghosts or heavy, heavy ancestors that haven't transitioned yet. And so, yeah, I, I, it was set in motion early with my teachers and it just resonated as really grounding and true, and I've stayed with it and it's been confirmed in my work with indigenous tradition.
0: So let's back up for just a little minute. Um, when you said, okay, so your teachers encouraged you to to explore your own blood ancestors and you connected with them. Would you share with listeners how you did the like methodology, how you connected with them?
1: Yeah, the process they shared with me. I've uh, expanded it a, a good amount, but basically it's to choose a, a bloodline of focus. In my, in my case, it was my dad's dad's lineage to start with and to go far enough back along that lineage to connect with, a really bright, elevated, wise ancestral guide. And that's in my experience at the time and since is often before remembered names. So sometimes that's a thousand, two thousand plus years ago. But for myself being of European ancestry, that has tended to be connecting with ancestors before Christianity really became established throughout northern Europe. And after making strong relationship with the ancestral guides, then bringing that energy forward from the deep past toward the present, making repairs along the lineage, understanding what the blessings are and what the burdens are along that lineage, doing elevation for the, the repairs for the dead as needed until the lineage is well, right at the edge of what's remembered, and then working in sequence systematically with the remembered ancestors the more distant ones toward our life in the present and one by one making sure that they are integrated with the larger energy of lineage and the guides and at the end of that process along whatever lineage is being focused on where you end up is that the recent and distant ancestors are well they're able to function as a collective integrated uh, consciousness of lineage and as upon doing that with the four different bloodlines, the four grandparents, or if you want to be really specialized with it, eight great-grandparents, where you end up with is all of your recent ancestors are well, and they can settle into an even more collective energy that can be related with directly as a singular note or symphony of ancestral consciousness as it through our blood, through our, our
0: DNA and bone. I think that's part of the com- uh, confusion that uh, cont- at least contemporary Americans have as they start to interface with um, traditions around working with the ancestors as we get into this, but who is it? Because it's, it's very individual for us, and we don't understand in- often until we've felt it what it feels like to have that. Um, Sort of like the chorus of ancestors operating as a unit of energy for, for us on our, you know, in
1: support of us. Yeah, the the way I share the work is, um, it's sort of like you're taking specific ingredients in the soup out one at a time and making sure they're well before they're reintegrated. And so, in the repair work. In a real specific way, I remembered souls and specific lineages, but I find it's really important to not get stuck in a stance of repair uh, when relating with the ancestors. To to do that work as much as is needed, so that the relationship can revert back to a healthy, uh, natural ideal.
0: To, to this beginning way that you did it, it, how your own practice and teaching had evolved over time. But I think you might have already answered that. Was there anything else that has really evolved out of it?
1: Well, it was just one day of work in the late nineties. So, um, but the seeds of what was shared there have flourished, germinated, and so uh, other pieces that I brought in would include. Once the, one's blood ancestors are relatively well in spirit, to introduce them to the ancestors of the land where you're living, if they're not the same as the ancestors of blood, which they're often not. Like I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and so many of the ancestors placed place here are Ohlone or Coast Miwok or Bay Miwok or early Russian, Spanish, etc., arrival, And so the ancestors of land have a. a different kind of energy that it's good to harmonize blood ancestors with, and also ancestors of uh, spiritual lineage, which may not be of blood lineage. I'm a priest in the Ifa Arisha tradition of Yoruba speaking West Africa and the Diaspora, and so that that is those ancestors, which are not my ancestors of blood. And they're also ancestors of affinity, people that we've loved and known, for many people, their adoptive family. And so harmonizing blood ancestors with other types of ancestors be an important extension or fleshing out of work with the collective spirit of humans. The ancestors are really the collective uh, wisdom and medicine of species, working with the human totem.
0: So I had a listener um, write in, and she her question was, um, how does this help or does it help when you're adopted and that she says that she's found her birth mother's family and it has a lot of mental illness in it, even though she hasn't yet actually met her birth mother or found her birth mother? So how, how have you found that fit into the
1: picture? In general, I encourage people who, whose sense of family is not the same as their blood ancestry to honor both sets of ancestors. And the blood ancestors do still have impact. They do still have influence. So along any given lineage, there are loving, bright, supportive ancestors. So one of the big challenges with the work, whether you're adopted or not, is that we tend understandably to project our experience of the recent family, often which is kind of tangled up, onto all the ancestors. And it's a lot like standing at the beach and saying, I see the ocean, I understand the ocean. Well, we don't have the full picture. Right? And so the important thing is to reach back uh, as far as is needed around the recent tradition to be able to connect with really bright, loving ancestors. So with that listener, uh, he, he has uh, loving ancestors along their maternal line. And so to connect with them, relate with them, and really sink into that love and support. And that might take a little tenacity. They may need to be ritually woken up or really called in in a strong way. If they're not used to being fed and honored, it can be surprising for them that someone is reaching out and remembering. So.
0: I appreciate hearing you say that because I've, I've been bringing this up with people lately and they're they're a little offended by it but this idea that um th- there are there is a wealth of helping spirits out there like ancestral helping spirits who no one's talked to them in you know hundreds of years so it's really not surprising they're not just sitting here waiting for us to say something they 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 are aren't listening <laughs> and and that we do have to take action um, sometimes, ritually, to wake them up. Sometimes we just have to become more interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be willing to... Uh, we have what I would think of as a moral obligation to embody our unique personal medicine, our unique gifts, our unique uh, destiny here in this world. It's an obligation we have to the extended human community, to the earth and spirit. And so the ancestors are great for helping us remember that, sometimes in ways that can seem demanding or pushy, maybe, but the, um, yeah, so, uh, say about that, just that our willingness to, to be open to their influence is one way in which we can get their attention more strongly. Yeah.
0: Talk a little bit um, before we go kind of back into um, oh, all, all the more details, uh, but let's back up for just back out a little bit. And could you share it, what the kinds of things that you've experienced with yourself or your students who shared stories they're happy for you to share about how tangibly, how in their everyday life um, things have changed by actually healing the ancestors i I know sometimes my clients feel a little bit ripped off that the ancestors got the healing and they feel like they didn't (laughs) (laughs) because they haven't quite figured out how this is going to apply to them so what have you seen in your practice and in your with your students of what's come into their lives by being willing to do this work
1: well we all have a deep structural relationship with divine mother father energy whether it's Father Sky Mother Earth or through deity or through the elements. And one part of that relationship, and an important part of it, is through living human beings, often through our families, whether they're blood or adoptive family. And so one personal benefit that I've seen in people from doing ancestor work is their internal template for, let's say, healthy mother or healthy father energy and, and shift. To the, often, if they haven't, Experience that from other living humans, it can first be in the stance of being the child, receiving that kind of love, receiving for the first time healthy father energy, having a taste for it, a feel for it. And as we get used to taking that in, it becomes possible more and more to embody that for others. And the ancestors are awesome for being able to bring that because we have healthy mothers and fathers along every bloodline. And I've also seen the work be a catalyst for healing with living family. Not always. sometimes the living are really stuck, but not always. And when we elevate and end to the, especially the recent dead, sometimes that can involve disentangling the spirit of a ghost from another living relative in a, in a more dramatic way, but uh, often it's it's like taking the fuel away for the dysfunction. When we make sure that the ghost energies that could be around our living family are well, spirit. it also helps people who tend, so common, to have a caretaking stance for their living family to uh, lighten the grip on that stance and instead pray to the elevated well ancestors to take care of their it restores the natural balance of having the elders, being the ancestors, taking care of, let's say, one's parents or um, even siblings, so that we're not relating with our parents like their parents. So those are a few themes I see. And, and people, another thing that's happened in my life, too, when I was in my early 20s, my family looked like the least spiritual thing I could think of. I had a like many people do, a bad attitude toward my family. And through doing the ancestor work, I've come to see how there are tremendous spiritual gifts, some of which are expressed also through my living family, that I inherit just by being born who I am. And so it's caused my perception of my family to improve. And to see them in more of an intergenerational context, rather than expecting my mother to be the embodiment of the Divine Mother which is a high bar to put on any human being, and uh, so there's a there's a uh, normalizing of the amount of expectation we have on our living family when we are connected to the direct love and brightness of the ancestors before them.
0: So, I um, recently, h- how would you answer this question? I've had practitioners just dismiss this conversation um in saying i already do psychopomp work and so how would you respond to that sort of dismissiveness of this this whole concept of ancestral healing as being completely contained in psychopomp work uh,
1: well psychopomp work is a uh, or elevating the dead or ancestralizing the dead is one very specific type of ritual that um, they uh, work with back up indigenous wisdom if we're assuming that there's some wisdom to be had from indigenous earth honoring tribal cultures that is worth paying attention to indigenous means of a place rooted in a particular set of conditions location etc and on the human level embody indigenous wisdom is to respect our family and our uh, our place in the human community and so work with the ancestors is not just about making sure the spirits of the dead transition well although that's one specific piece of it Uh, and that piece is more about making care i've had people the similar thing maybe saying in the training. am I done? When am I done with the work? It's it's an understandable question, but it it assumes that we we finish, which isn't, uh, I I guess I would say, when when you're dead and when you've joined them, uh, you can relax. But it's an ongoing relationship, basically. And we are asked to be a living embodiment of the goodness of our people, of of our bloodlines and other ancestors. And so Learning how to assist the dead, come ancestors, is great. But that's different than having a, the connection with the collective wisdom of the ancestors really inform our identity and our path and our sense of how we show up with others.
0: Well, and our lack of it in also informs a general lack of identity, lack of understanding what our soul's purpose is, lack of passion,
1: as well. It does. It. it one thing I've observed as a white guy from Ohio participating in schools <laughs> <pretty circles> <laughs> and being a priest in uh, African tradition is that there's a lot of still undigested um, pain from the history of genocide and racism, ongoing. And so, work with the ancestors is really great for healing some of that. One in a, in a weird way, I've felt that my commitment to working with my own blood ancestors, when I'm pouring water for Sweat Lodge or in circle with people who are mostly African American or African, uh, is a kind of it's a kind of protection uh, from the the occasional moment when someone understandable intergenerational pain would come out a- as anger or hostility toward me. Because of who my ancestors, and it's it's protection in the sense that I'm not I'm not getting any blacker, not getting any more native, and that's okay. I'm not fine, and and so because I love and respect who I am, there's an ability to just kind of sit in my place and and be who I am, and I found that most of the time that uh, it what it does is that Increases the sense of, of uh, unconscious often hunger toward a more recently indigenous people in the sense of like, you have culture I don't. Well, that's that's not really true. We all have indigenous earth honoring groups. For people of European ancestry the the fracturing and the splintering of our earth honoring ways is often historically farther back. And so the work of Going back to those breakage points and breathing what happened and reconnecting with those ancestors, it's a a labor of love a little bit. It's not easy work, but if we're willing to do that, whatever our blood ancestry, then we can show up in a way that's not so needy and greedy.
0: Not as needy? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like we're not trying to get... The there's there's the under we all have a longing for the sense of uh, if we're willing to contact it for a sense of intimacy on a community level or the intimacy that comes from a healthy tribal existence from a healthy connection to the land from uh, healthy culture in the earth honoring way and when we encounter cultures that may still have that or have had it recently, there can be a sense of depth. Because we we want we want to have what they have, and if we come to like native circles or African traditions with that kind of hunger, not inherently bad to have that, but if we're not careful, it can result in idealizing people, and then it's an objectification. That um, it sucks to feel it um, to be on the other side of that.
0: I know for myself. Um a sense of belonging was actually the first and most pronounced change after ancestral healing. And that I... It is something that I had been aware of, a feeling of not belonging. And it had caused me actually great pain. And I tried to address it so many different ways. And on a certain level, it didn't even make sense, um, you know, given my family history. But nonetheless... It didn't shift and, they, and i wasn't doing the ancestral healing to shift that but that was one of the most pronounced things i noticed is after this first big push into ancestral healing for myself i i always belonged everywhere after that yeah. and you know i realized that now my belonging traveled with me because i was back in the the circle of things, that it wasn't this linear, we're the living people here and we're psychopomping the dead over there, and it's linear, it was I was brought back into this circle that you're talking about, this reciprocal living, breathing relationship between the living and the dead and the descendants.
1: The biggest blind spot or wound in modern western culture, as I see it, is our a tendency to only see other living human beings, and not all of them as real people, as a real i vow potential source of intimate relations. Sometimes we extend that to pets, maybe, but for the most part, there's an automatic, unconscious, conditioned cultural tendency to, to see uh, plants, animals, mountains, rivers, elements as things rather than as people. And <clears throat> animist or earth-honoring or indigenous cultures generally speaking, tend to see these other relations that may not even be physically embodied, but they might be, as different kinds of people and and, and as a result, a source of potentially intimate relationships. And so when we objectify the rest of reality, we naturally feel lonelier. And when we fail to recognize that our, our ancestors, are a kind of person in the larger ecology of spirit, then we miss out on that potentially. And I find that most people drawn to omnism or whatever, whatever it is we're doing, is a, it, it's a longing for community, a longing for belonging, a longing for a sense of uh, whatever the opposite of lonely, interconnected that there's a space to bring out one's gift and talent, and we're, we're hardwired for that. Our species has evolved to do well in groups of about 150. Our neocortex is hardwired for that. There's a researcher, in Robin Dunbar, in England, who has done great work on this. And chimpanzees, for example, are hardwired to do well, well-fed in communities of about, evidence for hunter-gatherer societies
0: at your last statement but we'll stay with this show (laughs) that's a whole nother show (laughs) so let's um but true i mean i i completely agree let's talk a little bit more deeply now here about the importance of um in the ancestral work of also honoring energies of the place their place your place everybody you know, th- this whole relationship of humans on land, then and now. and So, so how did you first discover the need to connect it, or the possibility
1: of connecting it? Well, the way I approach the work in general is uh, that we want to be in good relationship with the above, below, and the marriage of heaven and earth. And so the below, so to speak, is our relationship with the land. With the earth, with the elements, with the spirits of place above, with the stars, with the destiny, with the gods, with remembering our unique work here, and the marriage of those two with specifically with living humans and with the ancestors. And so, if someone is good with their ancestors, good with the land, and remembering their destiny, they're probably in good shape. And so, the piece around the land for me really alive even more when I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area in 2002. And over the last decade, we've done hundreds of rituals out outside on the land around the San Francisco estuary. And those rituals sometimes are what I would call rituals of repair or, let's say, uh, the largest mercury mine in North America, south of San Jose. And there aren't traditional rituals for addressing mercury mine. So there's a need to get creative and to do rituals to help the human dead there who may need to transition and to make ritual apologies for what's been done with the mining. And other rituals might be rituals of celebration of places that are already really vital, like Mount Diablo, a place of tremendous natural power, beauty. So to go there and bring our prayer, give thanks, to acknowledge all the beings there, and and from this, over time, the land here for me is, it's been pollinated or seeded with stories. There's uh, at least a hundred places where we've done ritual, and when I go there, those rituals are part of the the medicine, part of the story of that place. And so, when I am coming back or flying back into the Bay Area, there's a sense of, of returning to this.
0: about the sacred do you feel we would be well served to begin to
1: investigate We bring joy to the spirit of a mountain. What do mountain spirits want from us? What would they like? So, knowing how to tune in and how to navigate these other kinds of relationships is a big, is a big piece of it. And another change that is, is just so, me glaringly obvious uh, is the need to honor they honor the feminine. Honoring women, but it's really honoring the feminine, all of us. And by that, I guess I would say I mean a more relational way of being. I don't...
0: States, of course, we've already done that for businesses. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, made I, them I, be more as, than human. As an animist, I don't see any problem with corporations. Uh, it's just an incomplete animist that's based on materialism. And, and so, if we also see that mountains and rivers and dolphins and wild mustard are people, too, and find a way to represent their rights, then... In most cases, their rights will win out over the interests of a specific corporation. We look at the overall benefit. So it's a it's an animist thing to do to think of a corporation or a boat or a house as a person. Uh, I think that's very indigenous in many ways. But the problem is that we still have a blind spot around the natural world. the The whole idea of nature is a Western idea, not a split. Traditionally, is isn't cute for really old-school indigenous people to think that there's humans and there's nature. I mean, we're it the voice of the earth also.
0: Well, and, and I remember in researching the encyclopedia, there were so many fascinating variations on how the ancestors came back to us. The living. Came back to the living. And in so many cultures, they came back in the land, literally. And people would would name, you know, this is where this ancestor from such and such a story is, right here in this rock. And so yeah. then I think about what happened when we forced marched people off this land where they, in their understanding, were literally still living with their ancestors in the land.
1: So I... yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's not that a lot of traditional people didn't move around a lot, but there is a sweetness to being close to where your people are buried. buried. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to just participate as a at a bear dance in the city of San Francisco in a, a tougher neighborhood in Hunter's Point with gunshots in the distance. And we're doing sweat lodge with Ohlone people who are one of the main native peoples that are traditionally here, still here in the Bay Area, and to see some of the people in that ritual it went at one moment.
0: Ancestral healing and the, the possibilities that it brings into the lives of the living in regard to this time that we're in of the changing of our worlds from an old world to a new world and I mean my personal and pretty simplistic perspective about this is if we if we um, well to put it in a posit- positively if we were able to reconcile And repair these relationships in our ancestral lines, we would be freed up to actually think new thoughts. (laughs) One of the things I think people are not really aware of is the extent to which they repeat their ancestors' thinking because their ancestors are right here, (laughs) you know, sort of still thinking it through them.
1: One of the things that's been communicated to me in spirit and I don't claim to fully understand it is that one of the drivers for human climate change or global warming is the sheer amount of unelevated ghost energy.
0: Oh, yeah. And yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh huh.
1: Yeah, and so we are a little bit, well, a lot actually, kind of buried under that energy culturally. Now, any given individual may, may be very bright and curious, but if we think of a collective national spirit, or spirits of local areas, then there's a lot of amnesia, there's a lot of uh, psychological incentive to want to avoid that pain, because there's a lot of ungrieved grief. One of the ways the dead become ancestors is through being well grieved. And so, when we are willing to feel the pain of what got us here in the first place, here being an intense ecological crisis, and, you know, all the challenges we dealing with uh, as a civilization, generally speaking, uh, when we're willing to slow down and feel the pain of that, and ideally be held and supported in community it, then we become more human, we become more in the present, we're more available for actual open-hearted, loving and we're more able to be a useful person. And that's kind of the point. To Actually, it's one thing to have good intent, but it's a whole other thing to know how to actually be useful to the world or to others. And that that requires often asking about what's our unique destiny, what's our unique medicine or vibration or gifts that we are being asked by spirits to deliver in this world and to carry out. And that can look a whole bunch of different ways, obviously. And sometimes people who are doing really good work are not necessarily doing the work their soul would have them do. And so being willing to feel, being willing to feel some of the collective grief in a way that doesn't totally wreck us, and being willing to ask with courage about our unique.
0: Um, I wanted to say, as you've been talking, and there's several things have been flying through my mind. One is the image of the fog in the San Francisco Bay Area as the perfect image for what you're saying of you know us being sort of buried under this weight of this heavy, dense energy. It's like, yeah, there's a couple mountains poking up, but otherwise you'd have no idea what's going on under that fog. Yeah, but there's I. I can feel, you know, we talk about being willing to feel the pain and I could feel people go, (gasps) you know, I can pull away from being engaged in the conversation. And I think people just need to go get more body work so that you actually know in your body the difference of what it feels like when you injure yourself and pain comes in or when you're receiving healing and the pain is you feel it, but then it's on its way out because yeah. yes this ancestral work is excruciating our history of humanity with everybody not just other humans but with the earth is atrocious and it's it's not pretty stuff but it's on its way out if we can go there and give it the means to leave and and for me the relief in that is so much greater than the oh yeah okay this hurts but but it's relief <laughs> I don't I don't know. For me, that's how I feel that I'm able to be with the horrors that are there to be cleared is because it's freedom.
1: I don't know. There was a friend who was at a protest about a big dam being built. I think it was in Chile or Argentina. And one of the indigenous elders there got up and addressed the corporate executives that were wanting to build the dam. And said to them, you know the problem with you people? Held enough children, hmm. and uh, it's it's important when we're saying, okay, I'm willing to feel a little bit of what's going on. To notice the difference between grieving alone or grieving alone when we feel alone because we can be physically alone but still be held by spirit. So that versus being held, being supported, being in community, ideally. So that the touching on the pain and the the alchemy of breathing is actually healing and not overwhelming too much, or it's not permanently overwhelming. And that is, it takes courage to feel that. But we, you know, we, there's a number of species on Earth that have gone extinct since we've been on the call. It's about 50 to 100 species a day, based on estimates. even if it doesn't look on the outer level like running. I think it's gonna not do work. So
0: Daniel, we're almost out of time. And so I was wondering if you would want to take a moment and talk about in a broader sense what it is that you offer, not not only as we've been talking kind of intimately about this ancestral healing work and then are working with the land and the need to do that, but but tell us some about what um, Earth Medicine Alliance, then how that extends this even larger.
1: Sure. Yeah, sure. My own practice I've been offering things through 2004 here in the Bay Area, that's ancestralmedicine.org I do individual work with people also by distance own and trainings here in the Bay Area and other places like Seattle, Austin, Ohio. And that's mostly ancestor work, but also work with spirits of place, with the land, plant medicine, and also work to help people clarify their, their destiny and path. And then in 2009, I founded the Earth Medicine Alliance, obviously, with others. Still really involved with that organization. The two main things we do is we have a free archive of conversations full-length interviews with video as well with different earth-honoring elders at Voices of the Earth. The the name of that project is at the website for earthmedicine.org and we have an annual conference the last three years with bringing together 15-20 different presenters from genuinely different backgrounds to co-create rituals together to about different ways to honor the ancestors of the earth. And So for me founding the nonprofit was a way of trying to broaden the message because it's not it's not so much about me with the organization, it's more about work and and also to create a uh, safe access for people who are drawn to the work but are appropriately cautious about spiritual teachers, many of whom are really wounded people. So uh, it was painful for me to see people with sincere longing to connect, connect with teachers who are not in their integrity. And so part of what we're trying to do with the Alliance is to create safe and and really ritually alive access points for people of all different ancestries backgrounds for Earth-honoring traditions. So, yeah, have my personal practice.
0: seems that earth medicine alliance and and in particular its conference is an opportunity for um i know that there is a a group of people who are basically white americans and they're tired of being in circle without any diversity
1: uh yeah it It, it, part of uh, i the around racial healing has become more and more really important in my journey and partly by necessity, being involved in African and Native traditions, but partly because it's just needed and it's a natural outgrowth of working with the ancestors. One of the ways I see it is that the rituals are not as effective when it's only people from one background. When we have our conference, we have Ohlone people who are Native to here through the opening, and people of African ancestry, priests, priestesses, call to the African ancestors, of Asian ancestry called the Asian ancestors
0: need for the water <laughs> to be able to flow and heal and reconcile and be yeah. able to do it together as a family
1: yeah. yeah well that's that's the invitation to really fall in yeah. love with where we're at and to invite everybody else where we're at to join us
0: well dan you thank you for joining us here today we have run out of time but i give thanks to you Thanks to your ancestors, to mind all those ancestral energies that have joined us here today. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.